haunting first images from inside the fire zone in Lytton. Our house is to the point of almost burning soon. And dramatic video of the desperate battle that saved their house in Lytton. Who they blame for the wildfire that destroyed their community with deadly consequences. A close call in Kamloops. And it was coming fast, and that's when I, you know, run for the neighbors, and I said, we're going now. The exploding wildfire situation in B.C. and why conditions aren't getting any better. When you look out your back window and you see everything bright red, you run. And escalating conflict on the path to reconciliation. A mob topples Captain Cook into Victoria Harbor, and the retaliation is almost immediate. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. With fire all around them, a Lytton couple fought to save their home, and they couldn't have done it without some timely help. Imada Gahi is in Boston Bar tonight with the incredible video and also more clues, Imad, about how the fire started in the first place. What have you got? Yeah, that's right. That couple's story is truly remarkable. But I'm going to start with uh, bringing you as close to the Lytton fire as, as anybody can really get. This is the RCMP checkpoint, and you can tell how close it is to that fire. If you look up above and uh, beyond uh, that slope, you can see the smoke still rising. It is coming from the hilltop. That means it is rolled through town, and it's moved north of the city and it is very active, it is very large, it is growing. This is a fire that's taken a community, it has taken homes, and it has taken lives, and we, for the first time, can take you inside what it's left behind. The silence is chilling. This is Lytton, B.C., burned to the ground. Days ago, it was a bustling community. Now, it looks like a war zone. It's like a total loss of a lot of things, and a lot of infrastructure, and a lot of memories, and a lot of livelihoods. Fire destroyed up to 90% of the structures in the village within a thousand people have been evacuated but sadly there are those that are still missing and unaccounted for. No all you saw everything was flat everything was leveled and uh, yeah it was catastrophic. There are harrowing stories of escape and misfortune there are also many stories of courage. We just tried to save it and it it just kept working, and we tried some more, and it kept working. As the flames inched closer... Our house is to the point of almost burning soon, so... This couple stayed for 12 hours after the evacuation to try everything they could to save their home. If you panic, I mean, that's it. Your body just yeah. goes in, like, total, uh, like, uh, freezing mode. The BC Wildfire Service has yet to name the cause of the fire. The Thompson-Nicola Regional District and the acting chief of the Lytton First Nation point to an issue at the rail line in town. It will offer its full assistance to help authorities identify the causes of this tragic incident. I just want to see like an inquiry on it. You know, a lot of people's, it's not homes, it's people's lives and everything that was in it. All right, Ahmad, uh, we're learning from sources there may be many more victims who didn't make it out of the fire that haven't made it onto the official death toll yet. What are they telling you? 
Well, Chris, I'm hearing from sources that have been on the ground in Lytton providing response, and uh, there is a likelihood that there is more, potentially more casualties than the two that we know of and we reported uh, on last night. But it is difficult to confirm the official number because the BC Coroner Service, the RCMP, no one can get inside Lytton right now because it is just too dangerous. It's hazardous to be beyond where we are right now. All right. Thanks very much, Ahmad. Ahmad reporting from Boston Bar. And the man who gets a lot of credit for getting everybody out of there is the mayor of Lytton. And he did an emotional interview with our John Waugh. We'll show you some of that coming up a little bit later in the news hour. Right now, though, the explosive wildfire situation continues across B.C. tonight with lightning to blame for many of the 70 new fires sparked on Thursday. More than 1,300 people have been forced from their homes, while another 950 must be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Ted Chernecki has the latest. The fire situation throughout B.C. is changing lightning fast in some cases. Take an eastern suburb of Kamloops last night when high winds fanned the flames of a minor strike into a major wall of fire. Plenty of people live out here. It's very close to the highway. There's, you know, there's plenty of schools in this area as well. And in particular for the Juniper Ridge area, it's kind of a tricky area to get out of. There's one road in and out of that section of the neighborhood. So it's been pretty clogged up with people trying to get out of the area when this fire broke out. Dan Baudin is one of them. Like many who are experiencing this, he can't believe just how fast everything happens. And it was coming fast, and that's when I, you know, run for the neighbors, and I said, we're going now. And uh, police, police and fire department weren't, weren't even here yet. Even the firefighters who were up that slope had to run for their lives. Yeah, the firefighters, and they jumped. They jumped, come running down, and I was... They weren't, they weren't doing it any pretty. They were just for their lives. Here are four of the major fires of note where evacuation orders are in effect outside of Lytton. But there are many more lightning-caused smaller fires, 70 of them in the past 24 hours, from northern B.C. all the way to the U.S. border. Almost 1,400 homes are under evacuation order and another 1,000 on evacuation alert. And today, another suggestion that this fire season could be worse than 2017, B.C.'s worst season ever. In 2017, it took until mid-July to burn as much land as, as has been burned so far this year. So this is an extreme situation and people need to be very, very careful. Unfortunately, we are predicting uh, maybe a little bit less heat than we saw over the last week, but still hot and dry and, and windy going into the weekend. So we are still expecting to see those very intense firefighting conditions. And I've, I've got a, a tanker also five minutes back. With the speed at which BC's fire season is changing, the province has brought in some speed of its own. There are three of these aircraft in service, the first time anyone can remember a jet engine aircraft being used in the fight. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The wildfire situation in BC has the attention of Ottawa, which is creating a response team to help support BC communities hit by these wildfires. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says he'll be convening a federal incident response group that will collaborate with the province on supporting communities. The PM says he's been in contact with Premier John Horgan and acting Chief Haugen of Lytton First Nation. He's also speaking with the mayor of Lytton today. We are here as a federal government, as partners for whatever support people need. We're standing with the people of Lytton to rebuild and we're continuing to work with the province to keep all British Columbians safe. 
Later today, I'll be convening the Incident Response Group with ministers from my team to address the needs of communities in BC hit by wildfires and extreme weather and to take a look at what we expect might be a very hot, very dry uh, summer with many wildfires. As we do this, ministers will, of course, stay in close touch with all their provincial colleagues. Uh, For more on the provincial federal coordination and the growing concerns about the wildfire season, we'll bring Keith Baldry in now. And some of those details really just emerging. They wrapped up uh, a meeting about it a few Mm -hmm. minutes ago, Keith. Yeah, just happening recently, uh, Chris. So you heard the Prime Minister talk about that team being put together. Uh, a number of federal cabinet ministers just had a news conference virtually announcing some of the details. Harjit Sajan, the defense minister, uh, laying out some of the details. We're going to put a, a center basically in Edmonton for all of Western Canada, but BC right now is in the most dire situation. So there's a number of aircraft and military personnel at BC's disposal. And given the severity of the wildfire situation in Western Canada, we're establishing a forward operating location in Edmonton. This location will be able to provide support across the region as needed. And work is underway to position air and aviation resources in Edmonton as quickly as possible, including a Hercules aircraft capable of transporting supplies and personnel. Now, again, BC, the B.C. government has not yet formally asked for those aircraft for that assistance, but that is expected to happen literally within days. Already close to 100,000 hectares have burned. Uh, that is far outpacing what we saw in 2017 and 2018. This could be very well B.C.'s worst wildfire season ever, which means any help, whether it's from Ottawa or the provinces, is going to be very much appreciated in this province. New records in three out of the last five years would be quite a precedent. It's amazing to think about. All right, Keith, thanks very much for that. And as we always see in these situations, grassroots efforts are kicking into action to raise money and provide supplies for those who are impacted by the wildfires. Rob Thiessen and his friends have set up a receiving station in an Alder Grove parking lot. They're collecting bottled water, diapers and other toiletries pet food and other necessities as well. When they fill up this trailer, it'll be driven to Boston Bar where they'll distribute the supplies to those in need. We're just trying to help the people that lost everything. And there's probably going to be a heck of a lot more demand with all the fires in the, in the province at the moment. Get the emergency necessities that the people need, uh, basic toiletries, bedding, Uh, things to occupy children with. Try to think of anything that you would need if you had two minutes to get out of your house and you couldn't take nothing with you. When they fill one trailer, they have another one ready to go. And donations can be dropped off in the parking lot at Station Road and Fraser Highway in Alder Grove. Several GoFundMe campaigns have also been set up to help wildfire victims, and we have links to those on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. Well, the heat and wind are bad enough, but lightning is a primary concern over the next few days. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now with the latest on conditions that could spark even more fires. Yvonne, what should we expect? Chris, we are already seeing a few of those uh, uh, lightning rather popping up for the northeastern corners. We've been tracking it across the southeastern corners, but leading in towards the weekend, the big area of concern will be for the southern interior, where we've got lots of instability and the risk of thunderstorms for both days out of the weekend so far. Also, a smoky skies bulletin has just been issued, so those with respiratory issues, we are looking at local smoke across the region. It could potentially bring hazy conditions for a few spots along the south coast. We could see it across Metro Vancouver over the weekend. 
again. We'll continue to watch the fire situation. We'll have more on the forecast, especially as we get in towards the next couple of days. Chris. All right, we'll check in with you in a few minutes. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And here's a story that captivated a lot of people during the heat wave. A dog seen traveling in an RV crate during BC's blistering heat wave has been seized from its owner. The German Shepherd, seen here in an undisclosed location, was taken into custody Wednesday after the BCSPCA got a warrant. The dog was first spotted last Sunday in a crate on the back of an RV driving on Highway 1 near Abbotsford. On Monday, RCMP located the dog and owner safe in Oliver. The SPCA says it'll be recommending animal cruelty charges and following the legal steps to rehome the animal. Warning signs of the collapse of BC's emergency response system. The apology was hollow. The president of the BC Professional Firefighters Association rips into the head of BC Emergency Health Services for her take on the crisis crippling first responders as we learn the staggering potential death toll from the heat wave next on the news hour. Very excited. We've been waiting for a long time. A major milestone for BC sports fans cheering on Canada's basketball team at a live event. That's coming up a little later on the news hour. Right now, though, the number of sudden deaths during the heat wave has once again climbed. The BC Coroner Service says over the seven days from Friday, June 25th through Thursday, July 1st, 719 deaths have now been reported. That's three times more than what would normally occur during the same period. And most of those deaths are believed to be linked to the extreme heat. The majority of the victims are older people who lived alone in private residences that had minimal ventilation. And Chief Coroner Lisa LaPointe says the number could rise even higher. Now, the head of the B.C. Professional Firefighters Association is calling out what he says was a failed response to the extreme heat wave. Gord Ditchburn says B.C. Emergency Health Services let people down with deadly results. And the apology from its chief operating officer also falls short. Jordan Armstrong has this NewsHour follow-up. Damage control in the executive suites at BC EHS and its overlord, Provincial Health Services Authority. Emails flying fast and furious, including this one, offering paramedics double time to work weekend night shifts. And this one, co-signed by the interim CEO of PHSA, which seems to lump frontline workers into the storm of criticism against management. Quote, despite what media headlines may say, we have confidence in the BC Emergency Health Services team. It took four days for them to come out of hiding. It took four days for them to respond. The president of the BC Professional Firefighters Association says the multi-hour ambulance delays which often resulted in desperate patients showing up at fire halls for life-saving treatment, are proof the ambulance service was not prepared for the heat emergency. This, this whole system has to be revamped. Absolutely has to be revamped. The paramedics deserve better. And he doesn't think much of Thursday's apology and explanation from the BCEHS COO. We know some people have waited too long for a response, and we... Um, we, we sympathize and we apologize for that. With the pandemic, we are also responding to an opioid crisis and we have the heat wave. So all of that together has created an unprecedented time. I think in a word it's worse, to be honest. We didn't just have an earthquake that caught everybody off guard. We had a heat wave predicted on the weather for days. 
why weren't you bringing in extra staff? Forget a lengthy review, says Ditchburn. He wants an emergency meeting between all agencies next week, adding BC can't afford to wait any longer for solutions. Because our system failed us and it failed the public. And that's the big thing is it failed the public. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Between wildfires and emergency response, it might make you forget we're in the middle of a pandemic. But in fact, we are. And here is the state of COVID-19 in B.C. now, based on data over a two-day period, given the Canada Day holiday on Thursday. For the first time in a long time, there are fewer than 100 patients in hospital. That's the good news. We have 84 new infections over two days, still low numbers, and two more deaths for a total of 1,756. 99 people are in hospital due to COVID, 30 of them in the ICU. Overall, there are only 729 active cases now. 78.7% of adults have received at least a first dose, and 35% of adults have received their second dose of vaccine. Still ahead, the demise of Captain Cook. Reaction to the statue being dumped into Victoria Harbor and the retaliation on a totem pole almost right after. Also tonight, another accolade from Michael J. Fox, the local actor. Why, you can call him doctor now. The national reckoning on race and the legacy of the residential school system inspired many peaceful demonstrations on Canada Day but it's also triggering acts of destruction and revenge. In Victoria, a statue of Captain Cook was torn down and thrown into the harbor while another B.C. church was burned to the ground. Kylie Stanton reports. What stood for decades topples in an instant. The statue was broken off. Everybody's sort of shock. And uh, the next thing I knew, there was a bunch of them carrying it down, the statue down, and dumped it in the water. British explorer Captain James Cook, just one of several pieces of the nation's history, destroyed July 1st, a response to the ongoing discovery of unmarked graves at former residential schools. Definitely made for a different Canada Day. As the statue came down, churches went up in flames. I could feel the heat. St. Paul's Anglican Church in New Hazelton was engulfed after an attempted arson earlier this week. Now, a total loss. The tower is on fire now. While in Tofino, the St. Columbia Anglican Church was left with its exterior charred, an indication of the intense grief being felt by the Indigenous community. We're complex people like other peoples in the world, and uh, part of uh, working through this is going to hopefully engage more deeply and get beyond the symbolism to the substance. This symbol was recovered by divers Friday morning. A deeply saddening sight for those who've been working towards reconciliation peacefully. We're paving the pathway for our next generation. And, you know, by doing this, it's, it's hurting. Police are now investigating and have several suspects, saying what took place was criminal. We support safe, peaceful, lawful protests. We do not support damage to property. There are many other uh, productive means of, of having one's voice heard than damaging property, putting people's safety at risk. And that goes both ways. This totem on the Malahat was burned with a message. One totem, one statue. In other words, an eye for an eye. So it's really 
I think, hurtful to the, the purpose and the cause and what we're all trying to do in this time. There's fear these incidents will only put the movement back when it needs to progress more than ever. Kylie Stanton, Global News. In Calgary, the Police Hate Crimes Unit is investigating after at least 10 churches there were marked with painted handprints and numbers referencing recent discoveries of unmarked graves near residential school sites. As Heather Yorick's West explains, church and community leaders are asking for these attacks to stop. At the St. Joseph Roman Catholic Church in Calgary, the paint is still being washed away. A day after it and at least 10 other churches in the city were targeted by vandals. The attacks follow recent discoveries of unmarked graves near residential schools in B.C. and Saskatchewan. We're even thinking about maybe leaving the paint up for a while just as a way of not trying to cover this up, but recognizing that we have a, a, a place in this, in this story. But Alberta's premier took a harder line Thursday, tweeting the vandalism of churches across Alberta is appalling. This is where hatred based on collective guilt for historic injustices leads us. Let's seek unity, respect and reconciliation instead. The prime minister calls the attacks unacceptable and wrong. We shouldn't be lashing out uh, at buildings that can provide solace uh, to some of our fellow citizens, but we should be every day committing ourselves, each and every one of us, to the hard work we need to do. A Ukrainian Catholic church was among those targeted Thursday. The Ukrainian-Canadian Civil Liberties Association says the vandalism needs to be investigated as a hate crime. Everyone should take a, uh, a breather, a step back, and, and, and calm the waters. Uh, there were perpetrators of the residential school system, the Ukrainian Catholic Church, and its congregants today are not those people. The chief of Siksika First Nation says he does not condone any destruction of property, but he does understand people are in pain. Now that these children are literally coming out of the ground, so is the emotional baggage that the survivors put away. RCMP are also investigating three separate suspected arsons on the Siksika First Nation, two involving churches and a third involving a series of grass fires believed to be deliberately set on Canada Day. Heather Urex West, Global News, Calgary. Just ahead, the man many credit with saving lives in Lytton. It brings tears to my eyes. Mayor Jan Holderman gets emotional, recounting the call he made to evacuate the town site. Next. Also, having a clean shave, one happy barber passing a step three milestone for the first time in 16 months. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions this evening at the Massey Tunnel. Is buying a home still possible? CIBC Mortgage Advisors will show you how. With a plan unique to your ambition, they'll find your home. CIBC Mortgages, ambitions made real. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. When the Lytton wildfire roared to life Wednesday evening, the town's mayor had just minutes to respond. Jan Polderman immediately ordered residents to flee, and his decisiveness is being credited with saving lives. In an emotional interview with John Waugh, he describes the events of the past three days. I am with Lytton Mayor Jan Polderman, who, like many of the displaced residents, is just trying to figure out what he does next, you know, bringing the dogs and the pets to the kennel, uh, just trying to buy some clothes, but at the same time trying to manage uh, what 
happens next with his village. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Um, like so many of the residents of the village of Lytton, they all have their stories of what they saw um, as the fire broke out. Just take us through your own story of when you first drove into town and just how devastating it was. Well, um, I had come back from the Botany Valley and uh, when I drove through town, there was uh, smoke on the south end of town and it was 40 degrees. There was a 30 to 50 mile an hour winds. I was very concerned, uh, you know, uh, for the safety of the village. I started to make telephone calls to the RCMP, to the CAO, to the, to the emergency center in uh, and at the TNRD. Fifteen minutes later, I took a drive into town. The, guy, the town was fully engulfed in flames. Um, it was harrowing as I drove down, down the main street. Um, I exited town via uh, IR-18. It was already uh, engulfed. And uh, I needed a police escort uh, along the Trans-Canada, which had flames on both sides of the road. Um, back to where my house was. Um, it, it was um, stunning how quick, you know, we had gone from n no fires to just fully engulfed. Um, you've, you've seen video of, of wildfires before, but what is it like to be there and just, you know, how quickly it spread from home to home to home in your village? It, um, it wasn't like it went home to home. It was everywhere. It was and you, you know you're in a bit of a panic because you're wondering what to do next do you, do you keep going do you turn around um, your life was on the line at that point we, we talk about the the decision for the evacuation order uh, you know discussions were already in place and it seemed pretty pretty obvious at the time uh, but just tell us about uh, that that quick thinking that quick decision making well um Whenever you make a decision to evacuate a town, you don't do it lightly. Um, you would you confer with the RCMP, you conf you confer with uh, your CAO, and um, then you make your decision. And it was done very quickly. Um, but as in all cases, you know, there's a little confusion along the way, so you have to uh, make a judgment and. My judgment was that uh, people needed to leave. Right away, you knew that most of the village would be lost. You said 90% right off the bat. Uh, but to see the pictures now of, of what the Main Street looked like before and the pictures after, just how hard is that for you? Very hard. It brings tears to my eyes. Um, you know, also the concern for the people that w were in those buildings. And, you know, and the fact that we don't know if they all got out alive, that's very, very hard to, to um, you know, to, uh, to, to take. Uh, you know, the, the emotions, I guess you can see, are overwhelming. And if you can say something to the residents themselves right now, as their mayor, what would you say to them? Um, we're working as fast as we can to, you know, to arrange these services, but, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a matter of coordinating a number of different levels of government to, um, you know, to get together to get the services provided. 
Once again, this is Jan Polderman, the mayor of Lytton, um, himself just trying to figure out what happens next for him and his family, but at the same time balancing the needs of the village of Lytton and so many displaced residents. Powerful stuff from the mayor. We'll take a break. Be right back. Real quick health note for you here. More research suggests that those who are fully vaccinated and still end up contracting COVID-19 have milder symptoms and a shorter infection time. That data came from nearly 4,000 people in a study across two studies or participants, 4,000 participants across two studies. The infections were identified in 156 people who were unvaccinated, only five people who were fully vaccinated with one of the mRNA vaccines and 11 who were partially vaccinated. The scientists were able to detect the virus in the vaccinated group for only a week compared to two weeks for the unvaccinated individuals. BC-raised actor Michael J. Fox has received SFU's highest honor. I'm delighted to introduce this June's honorary degree recipient, Dr. Michael J. Fox, who has conferred a degree of Doctor of Fine Arts, honoris causa. The award-winning TV and film actor who grew up in Burnaby is one of 13 recipients of the university's honorary degree this year. Fox was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at age 29 and has been a tireless advocate in the fight for a cure. Through his foundation, Fox is helping lead the charge on research and therapeutic development toward a future without Parkinson's. Let me briefly address you, the class of 2021. Uh, you picked a really bad time to graduate. Uh, the world is crazy right now, and uh, you, you, uh, you have a lot to deal with and a lot, a lot of stuff that there's almost too much stuff for one generation to have to, to address. Because we're counting on you, and that's really a lousy thing to tell you right now. But um, I think my parents, who were born in the Great Depression, came of age during World War II, and likewise, you were born into the world of 9-11 and came based during the pandemic. Uh, it's a tough road, but we need people to travel that road that can take us in new and better directions. Congratulations to Michael J. Always funny, always keeping it real. Uh, unfortunately, in weather, keeping it real right now, there isn't a lot to laugh about. It's pretty serious. Yeah, very dangerous conditions, especially as we get in towards the weekend. Uh, here's a quick glance at what it looks like outside. Overlooking English Bay, we'll potentially see some hazy conditions even along the south coast from all the fires uh, that are sparking up across the interior. Currently from the BC Wildfire Service, we're sitting at 152. Those are active fires, 88 uh, in, new in the last two days, and 53 of them are caused by lightning. And that'll be the big concern as we progress throughout the next few days. Fire danger ratings sitting at high to extreme, so please be very diligent uh, over the next few as we continue to track this and into the summer months. The wind forecast is showing us a north-northwesterly wind, so we are going to see many spots, especially in towards the Okanagan Valley. With that smoke and the winds, will be fanning the conditions uh, through the weekend. Now, here's a quick glance at what we're looking at, especially for the afternoon and early evening. The risk of thunderstorms is going to move in for tomorrow. Not much in terms of precipitation, but the lightning will be a big concern, especially uh, for the southern interior and a few spots across the central half. The central half could see a few isolated showers. There won't be much in terms of accumulation, unfortunately. And then it's the southern half that we've got the active afternoon and early evening and still very hot across the interior. Temperatures well above the average, sitting into the low 30s. Across the south coast, we've got a range in temperatures tomorrow. Away from the water up to 26, the Humidex will still feel into the low 30s and temperatures 
temperatures over the next few into the mid and upper 20s. All right, tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot really of the lightning over Green Lake. This one captured by Robin. Chris? One of those problem areas in the province with uh, forest fires for sure. Okay, thanks very much for that, Yvonne. Here's another sign life is starting to get back to normal again after more than a year of pandemic rules, restrictions, and the absence of familiar faces. Good thing is I still remember, or I think I do. Farzad Salahe, the happy barber living up to his nickname, smiling ear to ear as he breaks out that straight edge to give his first traditional straight razor shave in 16 months. After decades of providing the service, he stopped the practice when the pandemic restrictions first went into effect last spring. It was emotional, yeah. Why? I don't know. It's part of you. It's part of your job. It's your career. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's something we do for a living. And now you're all of a sudden not, not doing it because you worry to hurt somebody. You worry to give them a virus or they give it to you. Now, now all of a sudden you feel like you're free, free of something. And that makes you emotional. Glad to see him back in business. And for the first time in more than a year, sports fans are getting a chance to cheer on and support their team. The International Basketball Association Olympic Qualifying Tournament is tipping off in Victoria. And as Richard Zussman reports, this event is seen as another big step in BC's return to normal. Have you been in close contact with a person with COVID-19 in the past 14 days? It's big time sports with a COVID twist. Fans attending an indoor sporting event in British Columbia for the first time since last March. I've been waiting for a long time. Uh, it's great to be here. It's going to be the first sporting event in months. You know, it's a good one to come to. It's fantastic. It's good to see a sports event again. On Saturday and Sunday, around 800 fans will be in the stands in Victoria, around 10% of capacity. Go Greece, go! Fans will be spaced apart, screened before entering. Have you returned to Canada from any country, including the U.S., for the last two weeks? But at least they'll be there. The jump Canada may need to get to the Tokyo Olympics later this month. Certainly a big step forward, so the Canadian fans, the Raptor fans are, are unbelievable. If it's 10 fans, if it's 1,000 fans, or if it's 20,000, regardless, it's a, it's a unique motivating factor. Step three is the ticket to more freedoms for people across the province, and this is just the start. Indoor seated events can now be up to 50% capacity with safety plans in place, which means later this summer, tens of thousands of people could be in BC Place for a Lions game. We'll be reassessing, you know, we're gonna do this for the next incubation period, another two weeks. And if the things are in a good place, then we can open up indoors a bit more as well. It also opens the door for fairs, festivals, weddings. The province's guidance still leaning towards outdoors first. Outdoors? a lot safer, we can have more people together. So dancing, absolutely. Many venues are setting their own capacity. The PNE, for example, is ticketing each day and reducing what is offered for the fair. Back at the Savon Memorial Center in Victoria, there's still a clamoring for a little bit more. It's too bad the whole arena wasn't open though. But although it's too late for this event, circle September 7th on the calendar, that's when BC is set to enter step four and no more capacity limits, meaning when the Canucks hit the ice this fall, it could be packed to the rafters at Rogers Arena. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. We can only hope.
Can't we? Squire is here with a look ahead to sports now. Yeah, well, speaking of that basketball tournament, uh, we're going to talk about the uh, Canadian team, which is in the semifinals tomorrow. Also, can the Habs bring some thunder against the Lightning? We'll check in on that as well. All right, sounds good. And let's not forget it's Friday and satellite debris. Beer, it comes out of our taps instead of your fridge. Those are your going-out jeans. They're for fashion. That's a coaster. It's like a chair for your drink. See, you're getting it. And we have all summer to practice. Get ready, the BP Patty. All right, here's Squire with sports. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, in hockey, there's an old axiom that you're never truly in trouble in a playoff series until you've lost a game at home. And Montreal hasn't lost a home game yet because the first two were in Tampa. Tonight, they are in Montreal for game three. So, as the cliche says, this is must win because if you go down 0-3 to the defending champs, well, that's not really recommended in any way, shape, or form. Let's go to Montreal where Prince George's John Cooper, of course, runs the bench for the Lightning. And they get an early one. Jan Rudis sneaks this one through and it's 1-0 for Tampa. And then shortly after that, a Tampa power play connects. Remember, Montreal came into this series on a roll with the penalty kill, but Tampa's power play is something again, something different than Vegas, Winnipeg, or Toronto. So that made a 2-0 Victor Hedman. But Philip Deneau gets it back, at least one of them, 2-1. And then early in the second period, how does this happen? Bad line change. It's a 2-1-0. And Nikita Kucherov scores, and now it's 4-1 for Tampa in the second period. The last time... Canada's men's basketball team played at the Olympics was in 2000. It's hard to believe that with all the great players we've produced this century, we haven't been able to get back to the Olympics. But if we win two games this weekend in the qualifying tournament in Victoria, the drought will end. Tomorrow, Canada plays the Czechs in the semifinals. Achille for three. Sort of the follow. Canada has risen to the occasion so far at this Olympic qualifier with two impressive wins, but now there is absolutely no room for error. Canada has to win Saturday versus the Czech Republic in the semifinal and then again Sunday in the final to get to Tokyo. Nobody has to tell them what's on the line. Um, the pride that all of us have in representing our country um, is there every single game. So. Every time we wake up in the morning on a game day, it's a do-or-die situation um, for us. The heart is the key to this team. Just like in any uh, playoff situation or thing like that, you, there, there is a big picture out there, but you got to zero in on what's in front of you because that's all that matters. And, and it's, again, we've, we've all been through a lot of these, so we zero in pretty good. Canada has eight NBA players on its roster, the most of any team in the tournament. But what teams like Greece, Turkey, and the Czechs lack in NBA talent, they make up for in experience and just playing together for many years. This Canadian team has literally played two games together. But there is a confidence they can overcome anything the opposition can throw at them. You know, there's going to be some... Uh, rough wave, wavy moments sometimes, you know, going up and down a little bit and, and being able to hold your composure, continue to fight. The biggest focus there is, is remaining together and sticking to our plan and um, having each other's back uh, every minute of the game. Let's go to center court at Wimbledon. Dennis Shapovalov against Andy Murray today. First set, Shapovalov. Big backhand. Coming up right 
there. Took a 5-1 lead in the first set. Murray did battle back to get it to 5-4, but then Shapovalov going to the net. Well done. Won the first set 6-4. Second set now. Murray's impressed. Shapovalov deep forehand here. And then a little backhand. Really falling. Took the second set, six to two, third set. He's already up a break. Shapovalov is. Gets another on this forehand winner. He's just overpowering Andy Murray. Match point. Ace. Shapovalov. To the round of 16 against Roberto Bautista Agut on Monday. Euro 2020 in 2021, of course. It's uh, Italy-Belgium. Nicolo Barella. A man down for Italy. Doesn't matter. He's going to score anyway. Powers through the Belgium defense and gives the Italians the 1-0 lead. And watch this goal by Lorenzo Insigne coming up. This proved to be the winner. Perfect shot. Top corner. Well, not quite the top corner. But in the corner, 2-1 the final. Uh, The uh, Swiss game with Spain went to penalty kick. So the first penalty kick for Spain, off the post. And it looked like the Swiss might be able to win this on penalty kicks. And then, nope, too slow. And another Swiss penalty kick, too low. And another Swiss penalty kick, too high. I know, I know. Spain wins it in PKs. The uh, Whitecaps don't play until Sunday in Dallas. Game time, 5.30. Pre-game show on AM 730 is 4.30. The Caps are winless, of course, in their last six games. There you go. Streak's got to end sometime, right? You would think. You would think. All right, Satellite Debris coming up next. Stay with us. Very quick version of Satellite Debris. (laughs) Go. First one is Sip Smith Gin. Let's begin. Why does Sip Smith Gin taste so outrageously good? Let me show you. Oh, I forgot my drink. You know which city perfected gin? London. You know where we make our gin? Bingo. Gin starts with junipers, and we have the best juniper guy in the business. Nobody even knows his real name. I just call him Juniper Guy. My name's Craig. His name is Craig. Bottom part, not good enough. Top part, not good enough. We only use gin from the heart of the batch. Get rid of the rest. What do we do with it? I don't know. Even our labels are things of beauty. Who's that guy? Is that me? It's me. Finally, we hand-dip every bottle in some sort of magical liquid. It's just wax. All right, yeah, that makes sense. So you see, we could make our lives a lot easier. But at Sipsmith, we make gin, not compromises. I wrote that line myself. All right, so I don't usually show local commercials, but I'm going to show one from Boston Pizza. But before that, a strange one from Jolly Rancher. Howdy, Honcho! Tell your palate to pony up for the perfect bunch of juicy flavor. It'll douse your mouth in downright deliciousness. <laughs> Jolly Rancher, it's time for Flavor Ride! This is a Boston pizza patio table. It's like an indoor table, outdoors. You eat that like a sandwich you'd make, but we made it. 
Yeah, beer. It comes out of our taps instead of your fridge. Those are your going out jeans. They're for fashion. That's a coaster. It's like a chair for your drink. See, you're getting it. And we have all summer to practice. Get ready. The BP patio is back. That deserves to get a run. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Iron Brew and avocados from Mexico. Scotland, then Mexico. I'm leaving you, Jeff. Huh? Oh, hi. We never do anything anymore. I want to be windswept. Yeah. I want to meet new hairdressers. I want to be brushed beneath the stars. No, please don't go. I can change. Conditioner. No, I'm going. And I'm taking the little ones with me. Ah! Ah! No! Iron hair do. Get some iron on you. Well, we did it. We sealed the bad out and kept the good in. We have everything we ever wanted. Um, we have all these avocados from Mexico, but where are the chips? The chips are outside. The chips are outside! Ah! 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 Wait, wait! Avocados taste great on lots of things! See? Yes! Oh, Wi-Fi's down. Ah! Avocados from Mexico! The Wi-Fi is down. I feel like that, too. Yeah. It can be so Pretty upsetting. Yeah. All right. Keep it locked here on Global BC through the weekend for the latest on weather and wildfires. Have a great weekend, everybody.